Welcome back to Ascend Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in John chapter 21, wrapping up his gospel. It reads, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying these things, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. As we look at this chapter today, it's uh, one of my favorite places to be in Scripture, as we see that Jesus continues to be everything he needed to be for his disciples after the resurrection that he was before the resurrection. It's probably really hard for us to imagine everything that the disciples were feeling at this point in their life, thinking about the fact that they had seemingly betrayed their master, not possibly as much as Judas, but they'd really let him down in terms of what had taken place. They felt like that they had failed him as they watched him die on the cross, not understanding that that was part of God's plan for him, even though he had specifically told them that. And so in this chapter, we see that Jesus comes back and speaks to his disciples and displays to them that as he provided for them prior to his death on the cross, he will continue to do that afterwards. He also has the very visible restoration 
of Peter who needed that because of his very visible failure in terms of denying Jesus, especially since he was told it was going to happen and then happened immediately. If we were told that something was coming and it was going to be an imminent demise, we would probably do a lot of things to make sure that doesn't happen, especially something that has this threefold pattern in terms of, hey, maybe you do it the first time and then you remember, oh, hey, I'm not really supposed to be doing that. I was told that that was going to happen and I said it wasn't. But then the second and third times he continues to do that. So here we have Jesus ministering to his disciples much in the same way that he had done before. We see several things that he has previously done for them that he does here in this chapter. First, we have the miraculous catch. When we look back at when Jesus was calling the disciples, we see that there's also a miraculous catch that took place then. We also see him breaking bread and sharing meals with them, something that he had done to show that he was providing for them. And a third item is we see how he prepares them for what is to come. He lets them know what is going to happen, especially the specifics of what's going to happen in Peter's life. If you want to look more into that, I did preach on this passage during the summer, and so that sermon is available on the church's website and the resources. You can look at that and see a more fuller explanation of what's going on here than we're able to do in the brief time that we share together. But it's important for us to focus in on the fact that Jesus is continuing to provide for his disciples post-resurrection. Because, number one, they felt unworthy. They felt like they'd betrayed or let down their master. And they were wondering, hey, what's next? We really gave up everything to follow you. Do we actually have anything now to lean on? He says, yes. You're still a part of the plan. You're still a part of what I'm going to do. And while John does not record the Great Commission or the recommissioning of his disciples to do that, it does display that he has restored them to a place of usefulness, that he's given them an opportunity to be used by him for his kingdom and for his glory's work. As far as a summary for the chapter and a summary for the entire book, it does display to us the important fact that Jesus is in the works of continuing to provide for his disciples, for his followers, whatever their needs may be, as they continue to walk forward in truth. As they walk through the times and the periods in which they feel unworthy to follow, they must understand that he continues to be ready to restore and to recommission them to be a part of his work for God. God's kingdom and glory. As we think about a question for this passage, there's often a lot of significance put into numbers that are in the Bible. This is a passage that has a very much specific number given that's kind of a unique number that we don't see many other places, the number 153. There's actually a study called numerology that's looked into the importance of these numbers throughout the scriptures. And so the Hebrew scriptures have been combed over many times for people looking for significance and ties to some of these things. Sometimes we see those are very easily noticeable for us. Things like 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, 40 days of testing, 40 years of significant times of trials in the Old Testament. So those numbers have some significance. So the question could be asked, what's the significance of the 153 here in this passage? So a lot of different people go looking for this number 153 to see what the significance of it is. Jerome, who was a Christian priest and historian, recorded that the Greeks believed there were 153 different types of fish to be known at that time, as well as the fact that there were 153 known nations at the time. So they would say that this 153 is this number of completion and totality about his catch and the fact that the disciples are being sent out to 
fish for men and therefore will do that for the entirety of those things. Another person, uh, Augustine, he's another Christian theologian, he saw that there was some importance in the number 17 because it combines 10, the number of commandments, and 7, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so it's also 7 is a number of perfection. And so he goes into all these different things to try to get to this 153 that's going on. It's also important to notice that some people say that the Tetragrammaton, which is the Yahweh, the Y-H-W-H, which in Jewish tradition is used in place of writing God in the Bible, is used 153 times in the book of Genesis. And so there's all these different people looking for this greater, higher spiritual meaning about this 153. Is that necessarily what we're supposed to be doing here? Now, I want to be the first to say that there are times when numbers have that significance in the scriptures. But what I believe is actually taking place here is that it's a valid number. It's an actual thing. They saw and they counted 153 of these fish, something that would have been so great it would have torn the nets, yet the nets were not torn. It would have been so fantastic and miraculous that they catch this large number after not catching anything overnight to display the fact that Jesus is doing another miracle, displaying to his disciples, he is God's messenger, they should continue to listen to him, this side of the resurrection, and should look and focus on him for their continued work and the mission that he's going to give them. So I don't think there's anything extra special about this number here. It's sometimes just a number to validate the actual thing that was taking place. They counted, it was physical, they knew it, and nobody could deny the miracle that took place. We need to be ready and able to understand that at times when we try to fit these other systems and these specific things like numerology or other things we're trying to give greater, higher spiritual value to the text, that sometimes that's a man-made system that we're trying to impress upon the text, and then we end up looking at so many different views of that that it's not necessarily helpful in what we're doing. So I just shared a handful of the views that are out there with this, and we all see that they're arriving at different places. What they're doing is taking the text in a place that it wasn't intended to be, and then they're able to talk about something that they want to talk more about. And so we must make sure that we're not making the text our tool that we're then using to take it to other places, but instead focusing on the text for what it says, trying to discover that original meaning for its listeners, its hearers, the original audience, so that we can see what God was intending to communicate to them as well as to us as we read it now in our times. And so as you look at the text and seek to use the tools and the other resources that you have available to you, I hope that you're understanding to to look for these specifics of the author's intent of what it was meaning to communicate to this original audience and really stick with those things instead of uh, delving into some of these other like higher spiritual level uh, thoughts here with Uh, seeking symbolism or numbers where the text may not actually be showing those types of things. It'll be beneficial to give us the actual intended meaning of the text, and I believe that in those things, there's so much that we can reap from every day as we continuously study God's Word. So whatever question it is you have from the text, seek to discover that answer, stick to those main things that are there, and then I pray that as you discover more about what God's trying to reveal to you, that you would grow in your love for Him today. Know today you were loved. You're-